It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm Wes Goldberg, host of Locked On Warriors, here with Dave Vermill, host of Locked On Heat. And we've got a great show for you today. John Beeline and Tristan Thompson could be out in Cleveland, and the Rockets have doubled down on small ball yet again. But we'll start with Sunday night's All-Star game. David, you were in Chicago for the game. What? What did you think of the format change, and do you think that the NBA has fixed now the All-Star game? I don't. I won't go so far as to say that they fixed it. I personally liked the format. You could see that there was a palpable excitement, not just from the players who, to a D, all agreed that it was different, it was fun and exciting. There seemed like there were added stakes to the game, something that we haven't seen from them in the past, but the fans were heavily invested in the outcome too. And then I know that the shots on TV – focused on, on the respective charity groups that were set to be awarded based on who won the game. They were very excited. That energy kind of it, it kind of fed off everybody. Everybody was feeding off that energy throughout the crowd. It was very exciting. And then, again, the players really seemed to enjoy it. Everybody that spoke afterwards really seemed to feel like there was a, a, an added excitement to it. There was a, a, a great change there that they, they all agreed was for the benefit of the game. And uh, I, I think – I think it's going to stick around. Now, I'm sure that they'll be tweaking it. I'm not sure if they'll tweak it next year because the NBA, for all the changes that they do implement, are a little slow on these kinds of things. I, I'm sure that they probably want to give it a year or two to kind of figure out whether or not these changes are more realistic or whether or not they work. Uh, my feeling is that they, they, they enjoyed the format change. Uh, I'm not, if it's fixed, I, I'd say it's better. I'd say it's improved, and I don't know if it's necessarily fixed. I, you know, being today's society what it is, people are going to complain regardless. Uh, I saw some Right. I mean, people were already complaining about the, the fact that it ended on a free throw. It's just like, all right, can we be yeah. happy about anything? Right. Yeah, that's, that's the bottom line is that people are going to be upset regardless. But there was more excitement about this. So I don't know that we'll ever get it fixed because you can't please everybody, but it's a lot closer than it was. And it just – for a game that's been so kind of just dismissed because, you know, nobody plays defense and there's no real stakes involved – this was somewhat fun and, and a lot better than the, the product that we've seen on the floor a couple years ago. Fixed is a strong word. Uh, it is definitely improved. I think we can all agree on that. My concern would be, okay, how much of this was the fact that the game was in Chicago, which, you know, as cold as it was, and you can attest to that, uh, it is still a desirable city to do things in. And coming up, um, nothing against Salt Lake City, Indiana, Cleveland, which I think make up the next three, but you know, not the big cities of Chicago, maybe not not the most desirable destinations compared to some of these other big cities. So I think part of that, I mean, just like the L.A. All-Star Game, which was surprisingly good, uh, I think these destination cities tend to bring out more excitement, more joy, and just more out of these players during the break uh, and during these, these events. Uh, and I think the other part of it, too, was that it was a fresh change. It was new. It was different. And that obviously is just a kind of fun 
wrinkle in and of itself. And then, of course, the Kobe Bryant stuff. I know that after the game, a lot of the players talked about this as a way of of them tributing uh, Kobe and everything that he stood for. Kawhi Leonard won the All-Star Game MVP, which was now named after Kobe Bryant. And and so I think part of that was a motivating factor, too. And that's obviously not going to be the case, you know, years down the road when this is not as fresh as it was. That said, I always found it weird that the All-Star Game was so boring. It it's the only event of the weekend, basketball-wise. It's the only game, I should say, of the weekend, basketball-wise. You take all of the elite players in the league and put them onto one court. It always struck me as somehow like more difficult to make it suck than it actually just being good. And we've come a long ways now from Steph Curry just laying on the floor in the middle of the game, right? Like Guys are actually trying. I think they embarrass themselves with things like that without playing defense, doing all these things to a point now where they're complaining about foul calls in the fourth quarter and they're doing this thing. And, and I want to talk a little bit more about that format at the, in the fourth quarter, the, the Elam format or whatever it's called, the Elam finish. Yes. Uh, yes. The it, adding, adding 24 in honor of Kobe Bryant to the, to the highest score after the highest aggregate score after three quarters and then playing to the finish line to a final score. That to me was really interesting, and I would like to see that wrinkle added to some other stuff, like summer league and the G League and things like that. That's that's interesting. I mean, I don't think anybody had any kind of thoughts about whether or not to be implemented in other type game formats. But you know, you, you have a lot of good points, and I actually want to bring up why the All Star Game, uh, why it's not necessarily sucked, but why it hasn't been the, the draw that it was in the past. I gotta be honest with you. Having covered two consecutive All Star weekends, you are wiped out by the time Sunday comes around. Like there are so many different events, not just the 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 skills competition or the slam dunk or the rising stars, all those different things that are actual basketball related events. But there's the presentations, there's the activations, there's the events, there's the nightclubs, there's the all the different things that are taking place. And yes, Chicago certainly is a big part of that. Unlike Charlotte, which was fine in, in itself. Chicago was a whole other level. So many players from that area, from Anthony Davis to Dwayne Wade to Kendrick Nunn, so many guys that so familiar to the area, and they all just felt like they were at home there. There was a, a definite vibe that you could see all there. And I think yeah, a lot of that was palpable, and you could sense that, and, and it carries through in the, the game itself. As far as the, the Elam finish there, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was great. To be honest with you. I wonder if, if there's going to be a sense that a year from now when it won't necessarily be about, you know, uh, paying tribute to Kobe, whether or not it'll still seem as relevant. Somebody will always bring up the question as to why are we still doing this? It was a nice touch. I was in Adam Silver's press conference when he announced that it was going to be the the Kobe Bryant award. And I think that it kind of capped perfectly a sense that's been going around all all weekend long. Everybody was just, there was a, a sense of loss from these players. Like, they really, they really acknowledge that that Kobe should have been there. That he's always been a part of it in one way, even when he wasn't a player. He's always around, and you could always see him in different things. And for him not to be there, even I, I went to one event, and there was a, a, a wall of pictures of Kobe. Like this was just normal there. Like they just wanted to continue to pay tribute to him. But I wonder whether or not that's going to carry through next year. Really quick, I want to touch on the dunk contest because that was another controversial yeah. thing that happened. My answer to those who think Aaron Gordon should have won was. Uh, no, he shouldn't have. You don't get to ride Taco Fall's shoulders like a toddler and win the dunk contest. David, your 30-second defense of Derek Jones Jr. winning the dunk contest. 
the dunks were better. That's all there is to it. Like, if this was the same kind of dunk that he had done two years ago, Aaron Gordon, when he flew over, stuffed the Magic Dragon, that would have been the, the winner for me. But regardless of whether or not he scored four fifties or five fifties in a row, it doesn't matter. Those fifties probably didn't deserve to be fifties. The judges were off all uh, all night long. It's subjective, and to be honest with you, I really feel that Derek's dunks, I'm not biased just because I cover the heat, I think his dunks were better, more fluid, and, and just more powerful. To the surprise of nobody, John Beeline's tenure in Cleveland could soon be over. And you know what he could use, if that's the case, is a Theragun. The stress of daily life weighs on all of us, whether you're an elite athlete or just a regular person or a failing head coach trying to get through the day. Muscle pain and muscle tension is a real thing. That's why I use the Theragun, the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. Feel better naturally, treat your pain, and get back to your life. Try Theragun risk-free for 30 days or your money back by going to theragun.com slash locked on for a limited time. Our listeners to this podcast get a free charging stand with the purchase that's huge it's a 79 dollar value for free just go to theragun.com slash locked on that's theragun.com slash locked on this is jake from locked on locked on has teamed up with state farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in nba history after beating the heat led by lebron james and Dwayne wade in 2011 dirk nowitzki won an nba title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games four, five, and six in the NBA finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. According to ESPN, the Cavaliers and John Beeline have discussed the possibility of the coach stepping down before the end of the All-Star break with a decision now expected in the next couple of days. David, is this the most predictable coach firing that you can remember? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, I mean, look, he's just been beleaguered the whole season long. It just this didn't even have the kind of honeymoon period that David Blatt had in Cleveland. And that didn't last very long, obviously, just the one year. But it's just Beeline just didn't seem like he was ever appreciated by his players, never really connected with them just had no way of knowing what, what it entails to be an NBA head coach. And, you know, early on, you kind of tried to put a spin on it. I remember talking to Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs, and he said, you know, this team plays defense, they give their effort, they give 110%. But, you know, the bloom was off the rose after like a 20-game you know, period or so, and then all of a sudden they just kept losing, and it became evident there just wasn't enough talent to really carry this team further, and they just – they tuned him out and they just stopped paying attention to what he was saying and he couldn't connect with these players and I think there's still a prejudice among players that, that they want coaches that know the NBA system that played in the NBA that understand what it's like to be a player and to have that kind of attitude that you know you understand 
the dynamics of a locker room because you're a former player yourself. And for Beeline, not having been a former player, not having ever done any time in the NBA whatsoever as a coach, he had such a lack of experience there. He was just going to be overwhelmed from day one. It, it did feel like he had never even had the team. I mean, we talk about coaches losing the team. I don't think he ever had them to lose them. Like, it just sort of felt like he walked into a situation and they were already out because of exactly what you're saying. This isn't a, a lot of coaches have obviously played in the NBA, but then you've all, you've got like the Frank Vogels, Eric Spolstros, who have spent their entire professional careers in the NBA, right. working their way up and building equity that way. But John Beeline just came from Michigan where he hasn't really won that much. I mean, yeah, they make final fours and fun. Like they went, they, they were at a high level of college basketball, but you know, NBA players don't even want to go to college. They'd rather just skip college altogether. I don't think they have much respect for that game. And, and to hire him was sort of met with an eye roll from everybody. Players, media, everybody was like, what, that's what you did? Really? John Beeline? And look, I am I was around, you know, I'm obviously around the Warriors this year. And they have a couple of former Michigan guys in Jordan Poole, and they, they had Glenn Robinson before they traded him. And I asked those guys about John Beeline, and Granted, nobody would they never would say anything bad about him, but they never really came out and, and kind of with any sort of um, rah-rah or any sort of support. And to me, that's pretty telling because usually these guys post-college are very friendly to their to their coaches. But uh, you look, I, I remember talking with Jordan Poole and he just telling me like he had a really rigid system. He didn't really allow his players to do much of anything. And he played Jordan Poole out of position his entire college career. Now, look, this is one anecdote one anecdotal experience, but it just sort of feels like everybody that has been sort of around John Beeline has not been super enthusiastic or impressed with him. And uh, it doesn't shock me that once you go to the big boy league of the NBA, that he sort of fizzled out and just sort of lost a team that had a number of guys who had been at the highest level. It would have been one thing if he was just coaching 15 Colin Sextons, but he also had a Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love on that roster too, who understood what it was to, to be at the highest level of the league. Um, let's quickly go. Uh, I, I'm proposing, oh. I'm proposing, sorry, before you cut, before you cut it off, I'm proposing a coach swap that Beeline goes back to Michigan and Jawan Howard takes over the cast. Ooh, that's really good. Uh, can we take that to the committee? Can we take that to Adam Silver? You just talked to Adam Silver. Can you get back there and, and let him know? Yeah. Make it happen. I'll call him up right now. Uh, also out of Cleveland. Um, why won't they just buy out Tristan Thompson? Because he's not going to resign. They could save a few million bucks right now. Just let him go. What's the deal with that? I, I don't have any kind of sense as to why they will keep him on there, to be honest with you. Like, I, I mean, I, maybe because they're trying to figure out what the coaching situation is first and whether or not if Beeline you know, quits or moves on within the next week or two, maybe whoever they bring on as an interim coach is somebody they can connect with Tristan. They've made this investment in him. I think they'd like to keep him there long-term at a more cap-friendly deal. So maybe they can kind of sell him on re-signing the cast. That seems unlikely, but you never know. In today's NBA, I mean, maybe they there's a deal. I don't see how that happens after they made the Andre Drummond trade. It's just like, why would you if you're Tristan Thompson? I mean, I guess maybe, hey, hometown, like, let me stay here. But uh, I don't know. I'm personally just rooting for them to buy him out because I'd like to see him on a contending team. Like, he would be a great fit for the Clippers. Uh, he would have been a great fit for the Rockets, I thought, before they made they filled out their roster, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But there's a number of teams that I think could really use Tristan Thompson, mostly the Clippers. I would like to see him just go to the Clippers. Let me ju- I'm just going to be you know straightforward with this. Uh, I don't think the Clippers are good enough to beat the Lakers right now. I just don't. If you add Tristan Thompson, I think that does change things. Like he could actually impact um, a, a playoff series. 
Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I just I, I see him in Miami too. You know, they could use a big rebounding yeah. body. You know, I, I think he's a he's a good fit there. I mean, I think there are a few handful of teams there that might you know could potentially use his services. I like the Clippers. Obviously, they're they're. I mean, is he going to chip into, or is there going to be expectation that he might chip into Montrezl Harrell's minutes there? That's the only concern. But, I mean, I think Harrell's a better player than Thompson is at this point. I think Tristan Thompson is a guy you would want there in crunch time over Montrezl Harrell. Like Harrell is a nice player and all, but I, I do question his ability to maybe guard Anthony Davis, so to speak, in crunch time. I, there's some defensive things that I wonder about, and I think Tristan Thompson overall is a little bit switchier, a little bit you know sturdier defensively, and they just they probably need another body at the center spot anyway. Uh, I think Boston would be an interesting uh, destination for him, although uh, the CAA aspect of it probably doesn't work for the Celtics, but uh, you know, I think there's a few teams that make sense. From what I understand, and this is just me talking to a couple people who cover the, the Cavaliers, but there's an idea here that they could, you know, execute a sign-in trade with Tristan Thompson and actually get something for him over the summer, which to me is just like, what are you even talking about? Like, this is this is like if you wanted to trade him, you should have just done it before the trade deadline. Um, one possible landing spot for Thompson, like I said, would have been the Rockets, but they just filled their last two roster spots. We'll talk about that after the break. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Houston Rockets have signed Damari Carroll and Jeff Green to round out their 15-man roster. Instead of signing a center, they went with two more big switchy forwards, David do you what do you think of them going all in on this small ball thing? They are all in. They don't have a center on the roster. I mean, look, it's fun. There's nothing else. Like, I, I just want to see whether or not it can work and be sustainable. We've seen it in stretches. This is a commitment that we have not seen before. I, I, I think something to this level is something that we have not seen for such a sustained period of time. It's going to be interesting. I don't like the addition, however, to be honest with you. I'm not sure what Jeff Green or Demar Carr have to offer other than they're just. They seem like the kind of constant retread names that are just signed every year. Every team that signs them is wind up winds up being disappointed, and, and you know we're trying to find uh, what Demar Carroll had with Atlanta so many years ago. He just hasn't been able to reproduce that. Jeff Green, well, I mean, Jeff Green's always sounds better in concept than he does in reality, and I think that's how he continues to get hired. I, there's nothing against either of them personally. I like them both. I like talking to both of them, but I'm just not sure what they can add to a team that sees themselves, and I don't see them as a legitimate title contender. Yeah, these, these, t- the, and by the way, I apologize to Tyson Chandler. He is technically on the roster, but, uh, so they do have a center, but uh, look, I, I think sure. uh, you look at a guy like Tabo Safalosha, you know, 35 years old, he's played a handful of games. Do, do you sign Demario Carroll and Jeff Green with the intent of, okay, let's give them uh, Safalosha's minutes. Like uh, some of these other uh, fringe wing players, like I guess Jeff Green and Demario Carroll are at least established guys. Uh, you know, I actually, I kind of like Jeff Green as a player, but I, I don't know. I guess this is just them doing the, the typical Houston Rockets thing, which is let's just add players of the same player type and just hope that we can, you know, everything starts with James Harden and Russell Westbrook, but 
Uh, maybe one of these guys gets hot and you just sort of up your variance profile, so to speak. Re- I guess refresh adding... my memory here. Refresh, have they ever done this and had it pay off? Like, I mean, Gerald Green, is that the most successful job of kind of not necessarily rehabilitating something, a uh, player, but getting the most out of a player that's basically on his way out of the league? I, I well, I would say Ben, ben McLemore. Ben McLemore this season. P.J. Tucker, to a certain respect. I mean, they really made P.J. Tucker what he is today. Well, he was he was really good with the Raptors beforehand. That's true, but like Ben McLemore was definitely on his way out of the league, and he's having a nice year That's for them. But I, mean, I but but I mean, look, I I guess if you're looking at the the buyout candidates, this is maybe as good as it gets. You know, I mentioned Tristan Thompson as a player maybe they should have gone after, but when it comes down to it, he wasn't available. He's not he has not been bought out yet, and maybe they could have waited. But I I think that they've been encouraged by what they've seen. And look, I. First of all, the watchability of the Rockets has gone from maybe near the bottom of the league to near the top of the league. I mean, this is just – it's a ton of fun to watch. And I think it's also not as dramatic as people are saying it is because it does sort of feel like the natural evolution of what they were doing. No, they don't have Clint Capella anymore, but Capella was maybe the weakest link in the playoffs last year when they just got uh, destroyed by the Warriors. Like, I thought that he he was basically played off the floor. and They didn't really have an answer. They didn't – the Rockets didn't really have a, a second option, a break in, ca- in case – break the glass in case of emergency type option. This sort of feels like that, but it also feels like, I mean, they didn't use Capella to set screens for Harden anymore. They stopped doing that. They just let Harden isolate. Right. So why have a, a rim rolling screen center? He was just standing in the, on the baseline in the dunker spot half the time. So why don't you just take him, replace him with a wing who could, you know, presumably shoot threes, put that player out on the perimeter. And now you create all this space for Harden. And more importantly for Russell Westbrook, who uh, sort of, now is your your center in, in in regards to like that's the guy who is not creating space, uh, but he's your one non floor spacer on the court surrounded by floor spacers. So I kind of I'm kind of into it. I don't know that they could beat, and I don't know if it necessarily increases their ceiling in the playoffs though. Yeah, and, and I'm concerned whether or not these players who've never played for Mike D'Antoni before, whether or not they understand his system and what he does, and and. I think it's important also to understand that how to play alongside Russell Westbrook and James Harden. I mean, even that was for them to play together this year was a challenge and it's, it's just starting to pay off now. But at the same time, I wonder whether or not Green and, and, and Carroll can come in there and understand how to play alongside those guys who they don't really have much experience. Obviously, Jeff Green playing with a younger version of Russell Westbrook in a very different team in Oklahoma City. But this is this is a completely different team with different coaching staff and a completely different system. And with Harden doing so much of the lifting in for, for that offense, you wonder not whether or not they're going to be capable of understanding the role, which is always the biggest challenge, is, is understanding your fit on team, especially when you have so much pressure to be a legitimate title contender. I think we're starting to see that window, if not necessarily closed, it's starting to get really foggy, and I'm not sure anybody sees whether or not there's a, a legitimate title window in Houston anymore. Yeah, that's kind of my big takeaway from this whole experience. This is sort of feels this sort of feels like the last gasp of this title window gotcha. for James Harden. I mean, it would take some real gymnastics to to change this team completely from where it is right now. No games tonight. No game. No games until Thursday, uh, David. But remember to listen to and subscribe to Locked On NBA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. For David Rommel, I'm Wes Goldberg. Thanks for listening. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.